special time, there is a question that perhaps comes to mind, a question that we have probably asked one time or another, but when was the first supper celebrated? How was it established or instituted? Many years ago, Jesus and His disciples were celebrating the Passover in the upper room. We read in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 15, When the hour had come, He reclined at the table, and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now Passover was instituted by God when He delivered His people from Egypt. They had been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. The Passover meal celebrated the death angels passing over the houses of those whose doorposts and lentils, and lentils the beam going across the opening of the door, that were smeared with lamb's blood. It had to be an unblemished lamb. Then the lamb itself was roasted and eaten along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And you can read about this in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Now, throughout her history, Israel had celebrated this meal. They were remembering how God delivered them out of bondage of slavery, crossed the Red Sea, and into the promised land. And in this setting, as Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples, he transforms it into a celebration of a greater deliverance. He came to bring of which the Passover was only a foreshadow. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember and think upon the spiritual and eternal redemption that He brought with the sacrifice of His body and the shedding of His blood. Now the early church had special fellowship meals called Love Feast, Jude 12. These meals stress fellowship, affection, and mutual caring. They usually concluded by celebrating the Lord's Supper. The emphasis they had on oneness led right into the celebration of the unifying accomplishment of the Savior on the cross. Now the church at Corinth had followed this custom. But however, they had turned the meals into gluttonous, drunken carousing. When this meal was connected to the Lord's Supper, it was a flagrant desecration of the holy ordinance. Let's read the text together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in giving it this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must be also factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is the eater of the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If one is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters are arranged when I come. First off, in verses 17 through 22, we see divisions at the table. You see, he talks about giving them this instruction. And that word means to command, to give a charge or order. The basic idea is a pass from one down to another. It was specifically used of a military commander giving an order and then going down the chain of command. Why did he give this command? He states, you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Instead of being in times of loving fellowship and spiritual enrichment, it involves selfish indulgence, shaming of the poor brethren, mocking the Lord's sacrificial death, and scandalizing the church before an unbelieving world around them. He states, I hear that divisions exist among you. That word division literally means to tear or to cut. It refers to a division or dissension, discord or conflict. It seems that the church of Corinth could not agree on anything, nor did they seek to serve each other. Instead of sharing together in fellowship and worship, they spent their time in self-indulgence, arguing and disputing. Now, Paul may have suspected that some of these reports he was getting was exaggerated. But look what he adds. There must be division, and in part, I believe it. For there must be, there indeed, no doubt, factions among you. Now, the disobedience of those who caused the division would expose and highlight the love, the harmony, and spirituality of those who are approved. See, when trouble comes to the church, it creates a situation in which true spiritual strength, wisdom, and leadership can be manifested. The approved ones become evident in times of adversity and hardship. But factions are not merely disruptive, they are destructive. Initially, they'll help revere the strong spiritual leaders, but when they're left unchallenged, they will undermine any congregation or Christian group for that matter. In Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it states, Reject a factious man after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. 
because they had factions and divisions. He states, therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. See, they had the ceremony, but not the reality. They had the form, but not the substance. For in in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. The poor came to the supper expecting to share the food. However, they went away hungry, both physically and spiritually. Those who brought the food and drink gorged themselves and became drunk. This is the love feast they would have before the observance of the Lord's Supper. And look what he says. What? And that's the exclamation there. You can see some concern in Paul's voice. Do you not have houses to do this at? Or do you despise the church of God? If they intended to selfishly indulge themselves, they could do so at home. Or were they actually trying to destroy the fellowship? Were they so contemptuous of their poor brothers and sisters in Christ, they purposely embarrassed them and shamed them? Whatever the reasons they could come up with, nothing can justify the harm they were doing to the church. And of course, he ends this section by saying, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you, he says. In other words, Paul is saying, you will not get approval from me, and you're certainly getting no praise. Now, as Christians, our attitude and motives should be pure at all times. But when we come to the table of the Lord, it is absolutely necessary that we leave behind all sin and bitterness, that we leave behind all racial and sexual prejudice, and that we leave behind all pride and feelings of superiority. Now the text switches in verses 23 to 26 to tell us about the central focus of the Lord's Supper. He starts off by saying, I received this from the Lord, which I also delivered to you. He is making it clear this is not his own opinion but it's God's revealed Word. He starts out by saying, in the night in which He was betrayed, He being Jesus. Now this gives a historical setting because those original readers probably didn't know when it happened. Because the letters of Paul were written before the first Gospel. First Corinthians was written probably around 53 to 54 and the first Gospel of Mark 66 to 74, depending on what scholar you read. But think about this. In the very night, the Lord was betrayed and arrested. This meaningful ordinance was instituted. In the midst of world's evil, God establishes His good. In the midst of Satan's wickedness, God plants His holiness. Now, He doesn't give us any details about the Passover, does He? If you go to the Gospels, none of them talk about the details of the Passover. Because their concentration is on Jesus' institution of the new meal. The new supper which supersedes the old. He took bread and when He given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body. That bread that had represented the exodus now represents the body of Christ. And for the Jewish mind, the body represented the whole person. Not just his physical body, but his life, his teaching, his ministry, his work. All that Jesus was and is and all that Jesus did and is currently doing. This is his body. Our gracious, merciful God became flesh, not for himself, but for the benefit of us. 
Whether a person wants and receives the benefit of the sacrifice is his or her choice. But Jesus made it, and he offers it to every person. He took the cup, the text says. After supper, this is the cup is the new covenant in my blood. The cup that had represented the lamb's smeared blood on the doorposts now represents the blood of the Lamb of God. The blood that was shed for the salvation of the world. The old covenant was ratified by animals being sacrificed by men. But the new covenant was ratified once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. We eat and drink the cup. We do not remember the exodus, but we remember the cross and the Savior. Deliverance from sin to salvation, from death to life, from darkness into light. The Passover was a celebration in remembering how God had left them out of bondage of Egypt. But the Lord's Supper tells us about deliverance from sin and from death and from guilt into deliverance of being free by the blood of Jesus Christ. And He tells us, do this in remembrance of Me. And this is more than just recalling what happened. It's to go back into our mind and recapture as much of the reality and significance of this observance. We are to observe it on a regular basis. But notice it doesn't tell us how often we should do it. Some denominations have it every Sunday. We choose not to do that simply because we do not want to become this an ordinary thing we go through. This is a very special occasion. However, I must admit, perhaps we don't do it enough. Because this is the cornerstone of our faith, dearly beloved. The life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And look what he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It's more than just a remembrance for you and I as believers in Christ. But it's also a proclamation to the world, a testimony to the world, that we're not ashamed of our Lord. We belong to Him. And we're obedient to Him. The supper helped us remember the past. That Jesus came, born in a manger, took on human flesh, served, Every miracle that He did was for somebody else. He never did a miracle for Himself. In fact, Jesus said He came to serve, not to be served. And then He offered His life, laid it down, nailed to a cross by human hands, suffered, died, was put into the tomb. But that's not the end of the story though, is it? On that third day, Oh, on that third day, He came busting out of that grave. Victory over sin and death. So as we look back, let us also look forward because He said He's coming again. I know we have some difficult times. The news, my goodness, you wonder where it's all going to go. But dearly beloved, He is coming again. This is not all there is. He is coming again to take us home. So we can also look forward in great anticipation 
verses 27 through 34, we are to take great care. The text states, whoever eats of the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And we can come to the table in many different ways that are unworthy. Perhaps we just participate ritualistically, but not participating with our hearts and our minds. Maybe just going through the motions without going through any emotions. I mean, just the physical death that our Lord endured, I can't even imagine being nailed to an old rugged cross that was rough. Before that, he was beaten with the cat of nine tails that had pieces of, of bone and metal that would literally just rip the flesh off of him. Most people, if you go back and look historically, die before they're on the cross because of the amount of blood that was lost. You know what kept them there? It wasn't the chains that they put him on when they ripped him. It wasn't the nails they threw through his hands and through his feet. What kept them there was his love for you. He was doing it for you. He was doing it so you would have eternal salvation. We can come to the table in a worthy manner by treating it lightly rather than seriously. Believe that it imparts grace and merit. Believe that the supper, rather than the sacrifice it represents, saves us or keeps us saved. Or we can come with the spirit of bitterness or hatred toward another believer. Or come with the sin of which we will not repent. As a way of illustration, to trample our country's flag is not to dishonor a piece of cloth. Rather, it dishonors the country it represents. So when we come to the table in an unworthy manner, not only do we dishonor the supper, but we dishonor the very one whose honor it is celebrated. So if we come in an unworthy manner to the Lord's table, we bring dishonor to Him. He tells us in the text, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is the eater of the bread. Before each of us partake, we need to give ourselves a thorough self-examination. To look honestly at our hearts for anything that should not be there. Our motives, our attitudes toward the Lord and His Word, towards His people, toward the Lord's Supper, should all come under private scrutiny before the Lord. Therefore, the Lord's table becomes a special place of purifying the church. If we come in another worthy manner, it says that we eat and drink judgment to ourselves if we do not judge the body rightly. Now, there is a difference between judgment and condemnation. If you are a believer in Christ, He will not condemn you, but you can suffer judgment. Condemnations for those who reject Christ. That goes to the lost. But to avoid God's judgment, we must properly discern and respond to Him. And look what the text says. For this very reason, you're coming in an unworthy manner. Many among you are weak, weak and sick and a number sleep. That word sleep, some of you have died. God does not eternally condemn the saved, but His punishment may be sickness. And yes, God actually put to death a number of believers in Corinth. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-10 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Just think about what I just read. All of us in this room have sin we must deal with. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Not only that, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we simply would confess it, it means to agree with God we have sinned against Him. We come with genuine repentance in our hearts. He is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Once again, he states, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we want to tell ourselves that we don't sin, not only are we lying to ourselves, we're making God a liar and his word is not in us. But when we are judged, the text says, we are disciplined by the Lord. God disciplines individuals to push them back towards righteous behavior. He may send death to encourage those who remain to choose holiness. And even if the Lord were to strike us dead for, for, for profaning His table, it will be disciplined to us to keep us from being condemned. Kept from, we are kept from condemnation not only by decree, but also by divine intervention. There's many times in the Bible where you see people struck dead. Anas and Sapphira. They lied. They were struck dead. Sometimes God will take people out, not to condemn them to eternity to hell, but to save them. I know that's a thought that probably don't like to think about, but it's clear. And in fact, you look at many church uh, growth and studies, they will tell you sometimes God will let some of the church die out pruning, if you will, in order that it may bear good fruit. And Paul closes this text by admonishing the Corinthians to get their lives and their attitudes straightened out, to completely discard their prejudice and their selfishness, and discard their indifference towards God's holy ordinance. And now is the time for us to do the same. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. It was a very serious ordinance. A time for each one of us to examine our own hearts. If we have anything against another believer, we have to take care of it before we come to the table. If we have any bitterness in our hearts whatsoever, we must confess and repent of it before we come to the table. If we have any hidden sin, pet sin, anything, we must confess and repent of it before we come to the table. Now, the Lord's Supper does not have, it doesn't merit grace to you or any sort. It's about the sacrifice which it represents. That our Lord laid His life down for you and for me. So I invite you now, in this time of our service, to examine yourself. Invite the Lord to search your heart and to search your mind. Take this time very seriously. If you have to go across the way and talk to somebody, then I invite you to do that. But I cannot stress enough, do not come in an overworthy manner. Now, none of us are really worthy to come to the table to begin with. It's only by God's forgiveness 
the shedding of Jesus' blood that we can even come in the first place. But how God help us if we come with a flippant attitude. This is it. This is what this is Christianity 101. If Christ did not die, if he was not raised again, we have no hope. But I affirm to you that yes, he died, but he rose again. I simply want to end with John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Perhaps you need to give your life to Christ this morning. We have all broken God's law. We all desperately need a Savior. And I can illustrate this very easy. Has anyone in this room ever lied? If you're not raising your hand now, you're lying right now. Has anyone in this room taken the Lord's name in vain? Perhaps in anger. Now remember, you just admitted you're a liar. Ten Commandments said you should not murder, but Jesus said if you look with hatred in your heart, at another, you've committed murder in your heart. You ever done that? Do not commit adultery, but Jesus said if you look at the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you commit adultery already. Have you done that? So we're all sinners. If we stand before God in that condition, and the Bible says if you break one, you break them all. If we stand there in that condition, we're not going to heaven. We're condemned to hell. See, God is a righteous judge. No different if someone came in your house and killed one of your loved ones or committed a crime against you. You want to see justice. See, God is a holy holy God. He's a just God. And His righteousness demands that sin be paid for. So there we are. Lost and condemned by our own sin. But Jesus stepped in and paid that penalty for you. So now, as a believer in Christ, He sees you through His shed blood and your sins are covered. And I'll follow that up. We're living in the last times. I don't know when Jesus is coming again. It's like being on an airplane. And I tell you, this plane is going to go down. No way around it. I don't know when it's going to happen, but any moment that captain's going to tell us we need to jump. And I give you a parachute. And this parachute, the only thing that's going to save your life. Would you just put that parachute on your lap or underneath your seat, or would you put that parachute on knowing that any time you're going to have to jump? I submit to you, you probably put that parachute on so tight you couldn't feel your arms or your legs, knowing that any time. And when you jump out of that plane, you can't stop the law of gravity on your own. You're putting all your trust in that parachute that it's going to open up and arrest your fall so you land safely to the ground. Dearly beloved, that's what it means to trust Christ. There's nothing you can do. You put your faith in Him. Ever done that? Ever 
publicly said, I need a Savior. Perhaps you have done that, but there's an unconfessed sin in your life. Now is the time for forgiveness and mercy. Don't let anything come between you and God. And that pressure you're feeling right now in a certain area of your life, that is God saying, give it over to me. Perhaps God is leading you to join us here at this body. This is not a perfect church, and if it was, the minute they called me as pastor, it ceased to be perfect. What you will find is loving, caring people who constantly lift each other up in prayer, who generally care about each other. It's all about being known by love and living by faith. This is your time with the Lord. Think about that upper room. In fact, Let's go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the disciples up in the upper room with Jesus. Jesus knowing what awaits Him as He passes the bread and passes the cup. Think about that sacrifice He's made. What a horrendous death. Death on the cross. That blood was shed for you. His body was broken for you. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table this morning, we ask that you continue to move, continue to speak to our hearts. May we respond in obedience to your call. Break down the walls. Break the chains. Father, search us and try us. Search our hearts. Search our minds. That we may confess and repent. We thank you for your forgiveness and for your mercy and your grace. All made possible by the sacrifice of your only Son, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus Christ, in His name that we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that Thy God blood was shed for me, and that Thou bidst become to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can Cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, I will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise I believe, O Lamb 
of God I come I come just as I am thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down now to thee be thine yes thine alone O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Go, just go ahead and be seated. Let's stand, <laughs> if you can. Let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with face to the rising sun. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Let us drink wine together on our have your your cup there to lift up the transparent part that have the bread 
This represents the body of Christ that was bruised and beaten, took the punishment I deserved. May I never forget that. May you never forget what He did. As He said, Jesus, this is my body which is given for you. Brother Larry, would you lead us in prayer? This is His body given to given to for you. Do this in remembrance of Him. as we read in our passage this morning, that He took the cup. Jesus said, this is My blood for the new covenant. This represents Christ's shed blood that covers my sin and yours. That will spilt and shed for our forgiveness. Daryl, would you lead us in prayer, brother? This represents Christ's blood that was shed for you and I to forgive us of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of Him. You know, our, our world, our society tries to separate us and divide us by so many different things. Race, social and economic standing, education, geographically, by country, so on and so forth. But what we just observed and partook of, that's what unites us. And it's far greater than anything in this world has to offer. What ties you and I together 
is the precious blood of Christ. That's stronger. I have brothers in the faith that I am closer to than some of my own immediate family. These are people you can count on that have your back. That's what it means to be a brother and sister in Christ. This is what unites us together, makes us one with Him and makes us one with each other. As we look back and we've reflected, let's look forward and celebration what this means. You realize what this means is He is coming again. There will be no more sickness. No more death. No more goodbyes. The Scripture says He will wipe away the tears with His own hands. A place where sin is completely eradicated. I have no idea what that looks like. Can you imagine no more gossiping? No more backbiting? Everything will be perfect. This as God intended it to be. So we're going to lead out singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I was once lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but thank God now I see. And I think we might do in a little different tune than you used to. I'm going to go up here. I'm going to play the drums along with Charlie. I just want you just to sing out as we come to the end of this service, what peace and assurance we have as believers. And as you go out into the world, remember that. Remember that your salvation cannot be taken from you. No scheme of man, no power of hell can snatch you away from God's hands. We pray that God will give us the courage and the boldness to stand upon that rock-solid truth I was listening to the radio coming in this morning. A song called That's All You Ever Wanted by an artist named Casting Crowns. But in it, it said, I'm going to stop living by the way I feel and start living by the truth revealed. And I invite you to do that. Would you stand with us? Sing out.
Joel's me for a second. Let's sing that last. You don't even use the guitar, brother. Sing it like you mean it. Well, you know the last. Everybody knows the song. Come on out. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to see. God's praise than when we first begun. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful time we had together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you so much for the gift of your Son, eternal life, mercy, and forgiveness. Father, I pray for those who are here and those watching via internet, dear God, that you watch over them and protect them and pull them close to your side. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.